Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. This is the 11th summer for me to have some fun. I think some of you think it's fun. If you don't, don't let me know. Um, it's just summertime, you know, and so we need to have some summertime fun. And so we, we started off with um, Finding God on Your iPod, and then, and then we came up with this really hokey title, Finding God on Your Turntable. It's, it's, it's hokey, uh, but it's what it is. Um, you know, as a kid, you know, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? That sort of thing, right? And some want to be... Uh, fireman or policeman or a cowboy or something. I wanted to be a DJ. I just thought, guys, that's the best job in the world. Just sit around, play records all day, and talk about them now and then. That would be a great job. And I would tell my parents that, and my mom was not keen on it. But uh, I said, no, that's great. How could there be a better job, really? I mean, seriously. Play records all day and talk about them. Uh, well, as it turned out, I ended up becoming a preacher because Jesus tricked me into it. Um, but so what I do, though, what I've been doing for 11 summers is, is I have this little time where I actually kind of get to blend the two. Uh, I'm, I'm a preacher, that's for sure, but I'm kind of a DJ too. And so I, I play you a song and we talk about it. And so that's, that's what's going on. So um, last Sunday was The Beatles. So there is a natural succession. If, last, if, we're, if, it's, if, it's, if it's Finding God on Your Turntable, Classic Rock, Vinyl Edition, if last week was the Beatles, then who, who is it going to be this week? There you go. Thank you very much. Of course, it's the Rolling Stones. I mean, that's it. That's, you know, that's the progression. Uh, and of course, this leads to great controversy and debate. Let's try not to have a church split over it. Um, a lot of people, you know, it's Beatles, Stones, Beatles, Stones, Beatles, Stones. Well, I think, though, we can probably all agree that if it's the question, you know, the Beatles or the Stones, the answer is, in fact, Zeppelin. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, though I am willing to give the Stones their famous moniker, the greatest rock and roll band on earth. I, I'd give, I grant them that. I, grant, I think Zeppelin's the best band that ever played, but let, let's think about it. Uh, the Beatles' last concert was 1966. Um, Zeppelin has played exactly two shows since 1980. And their most recent one at the O2 Theater in London, which was awesome, was what? It was, uh, it was 12 years ago. The Stones' last concert was last night. Last night, I got to pay, that's from last, that's last night, uh, Mile High Stadium in Denver, there's Mick, Mick just, Mick had heart surgery earlier this year, look at him, he's still going, there's Keith, Keith, as those that, you know, we call him Keith, and uh, he was voted the most likely rock star to die next, that was 50 years ago, Keith's going to outlive us all. There's Charlie Watts back there on the drums, the Rolling Stones. Uh, The band has been together for 57 years, formed by Brian Jones. Uh, He was the one that 
had the idea for a band and called it the Rolling Stones after a Muddy Waters song. Um, Mick and Keith have been friends since they were seven. They've been, they've been friends for, since they were seven. There's just something charming about that. They fight like cats and dogs. They fight like brothers, actually. That's what they fight like. But they've stayed together. Uh, well, they're 76. So next year, their friendship will be 70 years old. Their friendship. Uh, there's something to be said for that. I like that. Well, the Rolling Stones, don't want to say too much about them. Um, they've, they've put out 30 studio albums. They've sold 250 million records. I read... Keith Richards' memoir, Life, it's about that thick. read it a few years ago. I, was, I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, Mick Jagger, in fact, taught me how to preach. That's where I didn't really have any formal training other than Mick Jagger taught me how to preach. Because he was asked one time, what's it take to be great at rock and roll? And he said, three chords and fire. And I, I said, oh, that'll work with preaching, won't it? Three verses and fire. But the fire is the important part. So Mick taught me how to preach. Um, So what song though? Let's be honest. I don't have that many options with the stones. Uh, You know, if it's Dylan, I can come up with a few hundred options. If it's you too, I can come up with dozens. If it's the stones... You know, if I'm really going to legitimately find something to work with on a Sunday morning in church, that, there's not that many. Uh, I thought about Sympathy for the Devil from the Beggar's Banquet album, 1968. That's actually a good song. I mean, it's, it's not Sympathy for the Devil like, oh, you know, let's have Sympathy for the Devil. It's, it's, uh, under, it's, it's discerning the works that have pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. It's a good song. Um, but I didn't pick it. There's, there's an obscure song called Saint of Me, uh, which is a pretty good song, too. It's actually a very good song. But it's from 1997, the Bridges to Babylon album. So that's not really classic rock era, so I didn't go with that. Uh, but I said, okay, I'm going to pick one from what I think is absolutely definitively, this is another point of debate, um, the Stones' best album, Exile on Main Street. I love Exile on Main Street. I, I listen. This, this, is, this falls in that category of near-perfect albums. That's albums like Blood on the Tracks, All Things Must Pass, Joshua Tree, Dark Side of the Moon, Suburbs. These are near-perfect albums. This would be one uh, example of that. Exile on Main Street, 1972. Uh, they, were, they were tax exiles. They, they couldn't go back to Britain or they'd have this huge tax. They were living in the south of France on the Riviera, as you, know, you do when you're a rock star. And uh, Keith Richards had rented uh, Nelcote, Villa Nelcote, which is a famous, huge mansion. And uh, he was living there, and the Stones were recording every night in the basement, and they made a darn good album, in my opinion. So what song? Well, I chose the next to last song off it. It's a double album. I chose the next to last song off it, a song called Shine a Light. Shine a light. So the the sermon and the song today are shine a light. The song was actually first written. It's a Mick Jagger composed song. Uh, Mick and Keith do all the writing. They share the credits, but this one is actually written by Mick. And it was written in 1969, not recorded until 1972, but it's written in 1969 about his friend and bandmate, Brian Jones. 
who, as I mentioned, was the founder of the Rolling Stones. They, they came together as a band in 1962. But by 1969, Brian Jones was sliding into the dark abyss of addiction. He was, he was ruining his life, and Mick sees that. And he, he writes a song. Eventually, later that year in 1969, uh, Brian Jones drowned in his own swimming pool. Uh, drunk, stoned, in a swimming pool and drowned at the age of 27. Uh, the song was written before that, though. The song is really about Mick watching his friend in the process of destroying his life, and he, he just feels like there's nothing he can do about it other than to say a prayer for him. I, I find it a beautiful song. I think it's touching. Uh, I like the music. I like the sentiment of the song. So I think there's nothing else to do right now but to show you this song. Let you hear it. Uh, the Rolling Stones from Exile on Main Street shine a light.
Mick Jagger talking about his friend Brian Jones. Saw you stretched out in room 1009 with a smile on your face and a tear right in your eye. Could not seem to get a line on you, my sweet honey love. Berber jewelry jangling down the street, making bloodshot eyes at every woman that you meet. Could not seem to get high on you, my sweet honey love. When you're drunk in the elevator and your clothes are all torn and your late night friends leave you in the cold gray dawn, just seeing too many flies on you and I can't brush them off. Angels, I love this part, angels beating all their wings in time with smiles on their face and a gleam right in their eyes. Thought I heard one sigh for you. Come on up. Come on up now. Come on up. There's something, something tender about that. But I, I, I think the angels are trying to encourage you. You can do better. Come on up. Come on up now. May the good Lord shine a light on you. Make every song you sing your favorite tune. May the good Lord shine a light on you, warm like the evening sun. Have you had this experience of watching a friend or a family member in the process of self-destruction? How many of you can relate to that? You say, oh, this isn't going to end well for them. I wish they wouldn't do that to themselves. I wish they weren't. Maybe it's an addiction issue. Maybe they're running with the wrong crowd. Maybe they just seem to be sinking irretrievably into a pit of depression. How many of you have seen someone like that that you cared about? Yeah. Sometimes you can help them. Other times all you can do is pray for them. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This comes from the Last Supper. Jesus is in the upper room, that final meal before Jesus begins his suffering. And he turns to his chief apostle, Peter. But he doesn't call him Peter. His name, his birth name is Simon Barjona. Simon, son of Jonah. But it was Jesus that gave him a new name. says, Simon Barjona, I'm going to call you Rock. There's going to be something solid about you. I can work with you. And in fact, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of death will not prevail against it. Those are pretty strong words. But in the upper room, at the Last Supper, he doesn't say, hey, rock. Hey, Rocky. My rock. He says, Simon. You know, when Jesus says your name twice. Simon, Simon. The accuser thinks you're nothing but flaky stuff. The Satan, the accuser, has been watching you and thinks you're nothing but empty promises. 
You're nothing but overblown hype. You're nothing but boasts that are baseless. You got nothing in you. You're just, you're just flaky chaff. That's all you are. And the Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat and to find out if there's anything in you. Now, Jesus knows that there really is a kernel of faith. There is actually a kernel of faith. There is something of real substance in Peter. But Jesus also knows there's a lot of flaky stuff. A lot of overconfidence. A lot of pride. A lot of arrogance. A lot of everybody else may fail you, but not me. You can count on me. I'll never let you down. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for you. Yeah, three hours later. I never met him. I never met him. I swear I've never met him. See, all that, all that, I'll never let you down. Everybody else, all these jokers, they may, but not me. That was all chaff. That's flaky stuff. There was nothing real to that. But there was something real there. The devil was wrong. The devil says he's nothing but a a flake. Jesus knows that's not true. That there's real substance in Peter, but... Jesus also knows that Peter is going to fail. I mean, when the chief apostle of Jesus denies that he even knows Jesus one, two, three times, that's, that's a pretty spectacular failure. And Jesus has to let him fail. Jesus can't alter that. Even Jesus can't keep that from happening, or we could say it this way, even Jesus can't keep Peter from doing that to himself. He knows it's going to happen. He knows that that Peter's going to hit rock bottom. And when he hits rock bottom, he'll find that kernel of faith. But Jesus also says this, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus was praying for Peter on the eve of his suffering. You know, you would think that the impending suffering that he was about to enter and knew he was about to enter would occlude any possibility of Jesus having any other thoughts. But no, he's praying for others. He says, Peter, no, he doesn't say Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, oh, the devil's about to get a hold of you and shake you every which way but loose. Going to sift you, going to thresh you, going to put you through it. And you are going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times, but I've prayed for you. That after that failure, your faith wouldn't fail. Jesus is praying for Peter. We pray for people as a way of loving them. Um, not necessarily as a way of changing them. We, we like to think of prayer as control, of a way of being in control. I'm learning that eh, it's not so much. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you think God ought to do, but to be properly formed. That's why you need to come to prayer school. Doing a prayer school September, what is it, 6th and 7th I think it is? Starts Friday morning, ends on Saturday morning. We go Friday morning, noon, evening, Saturday morning. You can come, you can register. 
I'm giving you a big, huge discount. Basically, you're just paying for your lunch. And uh, you'll find that code in the, in, the, in the bulletin there. You can register online and put in that code because you're a Word of Lifer and we give you benefits. I didn't mean to make that announcement. I just went into announcement time. How, where was I going there? Uh, oh, we're, we're praying. And sometimes we think, sometimes we want to be able to control everything through prayer. I'm old enough that I've learned that a lot of the time that doesn't work. We pray for people as a way of loving them, not necessarily as a way of controlling or changing them. Jesus' prayers aren't going to prevent something bad from happening with Peter. Jesus' prayers aren't going to directly change Peter. So yours may not either. You say, well, I've prayed for some people and and they still made a mess of it. Jesus says, yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) And you just have to be okay with that. What Jesus prays, though, is that Peter will not lose his connection with God. That's the one thing. I pray that your faith may not, that, that, that it's, it's hanging by a thread, but I'm praying that that thread will be titanium and it won't break. You're going to fail, you're going to fail, and that's the only way you're going to find out how much of your life is flaky stuff. How much of your boast, how much of your pride, how much of your self-confidence is just flaky stuff that's going to be blown away, but you've got a, a a slender thread of faith, and I'm praying that it'll be titanium and it won't be broken. I'm praying that your faith will not fail you. Well, Peter did fail, but his faith did not utterly fail. And Peter was able to repent, he was able to return, he was able to recover. And from his experience of failure, Peter would strengthen others. And this is the church. This is how the church works. Jesus builds his church on failures who, though they have failed, still believe. Well, as long as I'm making announcements. So here at Word of Life, we have have the Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Celebrate Recovery, CR. Not CP, that would be Celebrate Perfection. It's not celebrate perfection, it's celebrate recovery, which already assumes that you have something you've failed at, fallen down, stumbled. We all stumble in many ways. What we celebrate is not perfection because that's a lie, that's flaky stuff. It's not true. We celebrate the possibility in Jesus Christ of recovery. And so this ministry, it's not just for Substance abuse addicts, although it's that too. But just for people that are going through the various struggles of life. And have experienced some setbacks and some failures and some tumbles and stumbles. We want to help you recover. Uh, That ministry is led by Pastor Tyrese Barnett. And he does a fabulous job. I think the world of Pastor Tyrese. And we're starting a new session of it. Starts, it meets on Tuesdays. We meet this Tuesday. It meets on Tuesdays in the Live Center at 6 p.m. And this Tuesday, Ty, Pastor Tyrese is going to teach on the serenity prayer, which I think will go along very well with this sermon. They're kind of related, in fact. Um, all right, so, so Jesus prays for Peter that his faith would not fail. Peter fails, falls flat on his face. 
But it's not the end of his story. It's not the end of his story. He recovers. He's restored. And he preaches the first sermon in the Christian era, the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he becomes the primary leader of the earliest church. And then King Herod, this is the same King Herod that was, you know, involved with the crucifixion of Jesus. King Herod arrests James. This is James, the brother of of John, James and John, John's older brother. King Herod arrests James, one of the apostles, keeps him in prison, and then executes him with the sword, puts him to death. Whoa, this is the first apostle to die. Next, Herod arrests Peter, having the same intention that he's going to then bring him out of prison and execute him publicly. And so Peter is in prison. I want to read about that. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So they're about to execute Peter. He's in prison. They're going to execute him the next day. But some people are praying for him. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that is out for execution, on that very night Peter was sleeping. I'm impressed, I'm impressed. How many of you think you would really be sleeping if in the morning you were going to be executed with the sword? Peter's sleeping. He's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door. We're guarding the prison. So it's an impossible situation. I mean, he's in prison. He's got, he's, got, he's got guards on either side of him. He's bound with two chains, not one chain. One chain might not be enough, huh? So he's bound with two chains. Two soldiers, two chains, in a prison, and guards outside the door. Absolutely impossible. No way out. Forget about it. And behold an angel. <laughs> oh, we forgot about the angels. And behold, an angel from the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone. Shine a light. Shine a light. Warm like the evening sun. May the good Lord shine a light. And a light shine. So, so here he is. He's, 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 he's in a predicament. He's bound. Chains of addiction. Chains of depression. Chains of self-destruction. He can't get out. There's no way out. I mean, two chains, two soldiers, guards at the door. No way out. But people are praying for him. They're praying for him. They're praying for him. And an angel comes. And a light shines. Shine a light. May the good Lord shine a light on you. And, and uh, he struck Peter on the side and woke him. He's sound asleep. Struck him on the side and woke him up and said, come on up. Come on up now. Come on up. The angels, come on up now, Peter. Come on up. Come on up now. Get up quickly. And the chain. fell off his hands. We all need to belong to a church that will pray for us when we're in trouble. I mean, you just really need to be part of a community of friends in Christ that when you are about about to lose it all, you're going down for the third time, 
And there's chains and there's bondage and there's a prison. There's no way out. But you got some people that are praying for you, praying for you, praying for you. Sometimes we look at people's lives and it's in public. Man, they're in a bad way. What do we do? We pray even when it's impossible because, you know, an angel might come. Angels beating all their wings in time with smiles on their faces and a gleam right in their eye. Thought I heard one sigh for you. Come up now. Come on up. Come on up now. May the good Lord shine a light on you warm like the evening sun. Let's finish the story. So, so this angel comes and light shining on him. He says, come on up now, Peter. Get up, Peter. And as he starts to get up, chains fall off. The soldiers don't stop him. And they come to every door. They come to every door and the doors open, the doors open. Peter thinks he's having a dream. And finally he comes out and, and the angel lets him out into the street. And the cool air hits him and, okay, we'll pick it up there. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, you know, it's the middle of the night, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. These are the people that are praying for Peter. Peter's in prison, they're praying for Peter They're praying for God to rescue him. And when he knocked at the door, it's the middle of the night. When he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter is standing outside. And they said, you're out of your mind. That can't be because we're praying for him to get out of prison. It definitely wasn't their faith, you know. They were loving well. They were loving him. They were loving by praying. It wasn't their great faith. No, that's impossible. He, he, can't be, he can't be here because we're praying for him to get out of prison. All right. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting, no, it's so. And they, were, they kept saying, it's his angel. I, I don't even know what that means, but I would let the angel in then. Okay, all right, let's have the angel come in. But Peter continued knocking. This is a comedic story here. Peter kept knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And I've seen some people come back. I thought they were goners for sure, and they've come back. And you're amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I'm wondering about this angel. Was it an angel or was it an angel? I mean, was it an angel or was it an angel? The word just means messenger. Was it an angel from the Lord or just an angel from the Lord? <laughs> I mean, was it angelic? Was it, was it an angel, you know, from the heavens? Probably. Or could it have been? There's some captain in there that says, you know, I'm just going to risk it all. This man should not be in here. And he just lets him go. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, sometimes we're helped by an angel. Sometimes we get to be an angel. Has anybody ever got to be an angel? There's few things in life more fun than actually being an angel. That's nice. Um, so there's angels and there's angels, and I don't know that I can always tell the difference. 
Perry and I met two angels when we were doing our 2016 Camino in Promista. Remember those two angels? They were angels. They were, Perry, don't you dare tell Perry they weren't angels. She met two angels. Now, I suspect, I don't know, I suspect that they're probably also people. But they were definitely angels. I suspect they're people, but I know they're angels. Maybe they're just angels, but I think they're, they're angels that are also people. But I don't know. All I know is that it seems that things happen when people pray. So many of you have someone you love who is in the process of apparently, from what you can tell, destroying their life. Listen to me. I'm going to say a few things. I'm just about done. You can't save them. You're not the Savior. That's Jesus. Don't, don't confuse you and Jesus. You can't save them. You're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. What you can do is you can pray for them. When we pray for people, we are loving them. Not necessarily changing them. We hope for change. But even if we don't see change, we still love them. And we do so by praying for them. You can pray that God would forgive them. You know, you can do that. You can do that. You say, can I do that? You can do that. You can say, God, I come before you and I just, I, I ask that you'd forgive their sins. Just forgive them, God. Have mercy on them. Don't count, don't count their sins against them. Despite their sins, Lord, have mercy. You can pray like that. You can pray that their faith would not fail. You say, God, their faith is like a thin, it's like a, oh, it's a, it's a slender thread. But the Lord, I pray, this, I pray that faith would not snap. I pray it wouldn't break. I pray they would keep their connection to you. You can pray that way. You can pray that God would send the angels to them. Angelic and human. God, send, send the right person. Send the angel. Send the messenger. Send someone to help them. Sometimes you can be an angel. Sometimes, sometimes you can. You can just touch them and say, come on. Come on up now. Come on up. Sometimes you can be the angel that touches them and says, come on up. Come on up now. Sometimes when you're praying for people that you love and you're praying from love, faith works by love, and you're praying from sometimes they will unexpectedly show up and knock on your door, set free. And you're like, whoo, that's, that's wonderful, that's joy, that's delight. And sometimes they drown in their own swimming pool. That's terrible. But that doesn't mean you have failed. And it doesn't even mean that your prayers have failed. You have loved them the best way you know how. So don't beat yourself up over it. Don't try to be Jesus. The best you can be is an angel, and sometimes you can't be that. And besides, their story isn't over yet. Even when they die, their story isn't over yet. Not over. For all I know, their story is just getting started. I know this. I know that Jesus now fills all things everywhere with himself. Jesus came and took on flesh that he might descend into death. There is no place where Jesus is not present. He now fills all things everywhere with himself so that for a person to enter in death is to encounter Christ. Then what? I don't know. 
then they encounter Christ, and we, it's in Jesus' hands. It's appointed that each man die once, and after this comes the judgment. Hebrews 9, 23. Then what? Yeah, we, we enter into death. Every person enters into death, but they don't meet death. They don't meet the grim reaper. They meet Jesus Christ. And there's an analysis of their life. There's a summary. You're now standing in white light, white hot, white searing light. There's no place to hide. All truth is just beaming down. You know what the score is. And there's going to be an account. And there's going to have to be some things addressed. And then what? Well, I don't know. I know that Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Death and Hades don't have the keys. Jesus has the keys. What does he do with those keys? Well, it's, Lord, shine a light on them. Have mercy. Lead them. So do I believe that Brian Jones' story has been fully told? He, he drowned in his own swimming pool in 1969. The end. That's not how I think about it. I don't know what the next part of the story is, but I don't necessarily believe it's the end. That's all that can ever be said about Brian Jones, age 27, he died and drunk in his own swimming pool. That's the end. I don't know. Jesus is what happens next. And what happens after that? Well, let's, let's trust that to Jesus. So do I believe that you're Brian Jones? I heard a song about Brian Jones from Mick Jagger, but I'm talking about your Brian Jones. How, how many of you know somebody, some people that seem to be in the process of drowning in their own swimming pool? Work with me on this now. It's their own mess. They've created his own mess. They're drowning in their own dang swimming pool. And maybe they do drown. Maybe it's... Well, do I believe that that Brian Jones, your Brian Jones, the one you love, has had their story fully told yet? No, I do not believe that. Because Jesus is Lord and Jesus has descended into death and Jesus has defeated death. So just keep praying that Jesus would shine his light of love and grace on them. And trust Jesus. Amen? Amen. How many of you, one more time, I want you to put your hands up high. How many of you are thinking about a specific person or some people that are stretched out in room 1009 that are in the process of drowning in their own swimming pool that are making a mess of it all. all right. Everybody stand up with me. We're going to pray for those people. You, you, you that raised your hands because you're thinking about somebody, just leave your hand up because you're like reaching out to heaven for them. And Lord Jesus, we pray for these people. We can give them the name Brian Jones, but it can be, you know, it's, it's all these names. Lord, shine a light on them. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, send them an angel. Lord, they may be bound by two chains and two guards and two soldiers and all of that, but you can set them free. Lord, rescue them. Heal them. Set them free from those addictions. Break the chains of alcohol. Break the chains of drugs. Break the chains of depression. Lord, we pray for them because we love them. And we know you love them. And may your love come to them in the form of grace and mercy and compassion. Lord, send angels to them, human angels and angel angels. Just send angels to them, Lord, that will touch them and say, come on up. Come on up now. Come on up now. 
Send those that can relate to where they're at and perhaps spark something new in them that would cause them to shake those chains off and stand up and say, no, I'm not going to die here. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to come into a new place in life. Lord, send angels to them. Have mercy on them. Rescue them. Save them. Help them. Heal them. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.